Welcome to Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow female artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Well, it is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of their favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom these women have to offer. Today I sit down with Aurora Brown and smoke some joints. I've never felt so cool. Aurora is a four-time Second City Main Stage alum and has won a ton of awards for acting, writing, and producing, including a Canadian Comedy Award and multiple Canadian Screen Awards. You may know Aurora best from the award-winning series Baroness Von Sketch Show, which she created and stars in alongside Carolyn Taylor, Meredith McNeil, and Jennifer Whalen. You can also see Aurora on screen in ABC's Newborn Moms, CBC Gems Writer's Block, and in an upcoming episode of Odd Squad. Aurora and I recorded remotely, so the audio quality is a little wonky in some parts, but maybe listening to it will just make you feel like you're a little high and it'll be like you're right there with us. You're welcome. So Aurora is an actor, writer, improviser, producer, and a woman I admire immensely. It looks so cute on my end that you have this beautiful, oh my God, can you tell I smoked? So sorry, listeners. Oh, that's just going to be my voice. You know, don't poo-poo this kind of rough voice because that will get you literal, uh, it'll get you work. There was one fall where I had a constant cold. I booked so much voice work because I just had that kind of like a little bit ill, kind of female sounding wise. Like the smelly cat, like Lisa Kudrow smelly (laughs) cat. That's what it is. All right. Well, we're going to go with it. So today... I am sitting down with the Aurora Brown. I always say your last name when I say, I never just say Aurora. I'm like the Aurora Brown. There are some people you, you just have their whole name and there's some people I always say their last name. Usually it's, if it's a name that there's a lot of like Chris's Mm. or, you know, Jennifer's or something like that. Um, but I don't mind. I like my whole name. So you can take it. You can say it. Well, I should ask you how you say your, your last name. Cause I know how it sounds in my head. Oh, I want to hear how it sounds in your head. Pereira. Oh, yes, (laughs) that's actually like more accurate than I was going to say it Oh, because I was going to say Pereira, which is what I tell people, but no, that's how you say it. Pereira. I think, uh, I've lived near little Portugal long enough. (sighs) Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. There you go. There we go. There we go. Oh my gosh. I feel so seen. Well, I think I also say Aurora Brown because you or I know this is an odd thing to hear or to say to somebody uh, completely genuinely, but you're like a little bit of a rock star to me. So I think that's why I also just go like full, full, full name. <laughs> like, when you say that, I kind of want to go into therapist mode and say like, okay, accept what you feel. <laughs> yep. um, you know, I'm just a human. So what does yep. rock star mean to you? Kind of thing. I mean, it's, I, I guess I know what you mean, not about myself, but I've, I have people I feel that way about. Mm-hmm. Um, so why shouldn't you feel that? It's just really strange to me to hear somebody say that about yeah. me. It's like, oh, I'm not worth the rock star treatment, but okay, sure. I'll take you it. Know what? I think we're all while. worth the rock star treatment. And I actually, I really, what I like to think is like, maybe there's someone out there who thinks I'm a rock star. I just don't know who they are. But there's you probably somebody, my mom probably thinks that. Yeah. Someone, you know what I mean? Um, well, today, okay, so today for your liquid courage, 
we are smoking weed. And I should say to anyone out there who doesn't know, uh, it's legal in Toronto. So get at us. It's legal here. We're doing it. I want to say at first, when I sort of asked you and you said, oh, like, would you be willing to sort of add this into the mix? I was so scared immediately scared. I was like, Oh my God, people are going to judge me. Like what's going to, is my mom going to be mad? Like I would, I went in a little, I freaked out a little bit. And then ultimately I was like, fuck, I'm not passing up an opportunity to smoke with Aurora Brown. What am I doing? And I should also say for <laughs> viewers, I was saying my recording setup is very far from any of my windows in my apartment. So I smoked prior outside and I might go smoke again, but Aurora is smoking right here. And I feel so cool. Oh, well, <laughs> first of all, thank you for allowing me to smoke rather than drink. Uh, I was saying this also to you, but like, um, we on Baroness, like we're known for a lot of our wine sketches, you know, like mm -hmm. there's a red wine ladies and sketches about drinking wine and storing wine and not drinking wine, all that kind of stuff. And, um, the weird thing is I actually, I don't, I drink so rarely now. And even when we started the show, I had stopped drinking red wine for a long time because I get mm. so hungover. I used to drink mm. a lot. I worked at a brewery, you know, I was in theater school, you know, like there's a lot of drinking that happened and that just like hangover after hangover after hangover of like barfing the next day and losing a thing to the point where finally I was like, I think I might have liver damage. Of oh. <laughs> like this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. yeah. So I stopped doing it um, mainly because of that. And now I'm such a lightweight. I have like two fingers of wine. I can feel it. And I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of fun when I'm drunk. I'm a lovey, lovey drunk. I'm like, you're so beautiful. And like, I want to tell people how talented they are and send them texts and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm a real nice drunk. It's just the next day is so bad, but I'm, I'm also really lovely when I'm, when I'm stoned and I still send nice, nice texts as well. <laughs> And, and like we were talking, like mm -hmm. it is legal, not just in Toronto. I believe the whole country can do it recreationally and state by state, the States is, uh, are getting closer to that. But I like, uh, obviously I've smoked weed since university, which mm -hmm. is a while ago now. Um, and I've always done it, but I've always had that same of like, oh, it's illegal. Don't want to let people know. Yeah. And my, my parents, I, you know, I don't even want them to know that I drink too much. But this summer, I finally, I was staying up with my dad uh, and I was staying there for a while and I was doing a D&D &D Zoom night and I was like, I'm almost 50. I can do this. <laughs> I, I went to him and I said, okay, everybody, I'm going to go sit out on the veranda now. Daddy, I just, I don't want there to be any confusion, but I'm going to be smoking some marijuana with my friends. <gasps> no you know, and way. I just like, said it like that. Yeah, what did he say? Was, well, he was you know, my dad is like 83. He was born in the thirties. Mm. So he was like, all right, thank you for not asking me and just telling me, you know, kind of thing. And the, you know, he was, he's still very, even though he's on like so many old person medications and you know, like, you know, you can manufacture and drink booze, no problem. So anyway, this is a part of my let's bring marijuana, the love and respect that it deserves. I'm, I'm trying to smoke this joint. I'm actually not doing a good job. I might have to roll another one. I love that. Well, I was telling you just before we were recording, oh my God, you know when like your lip just sticks to your teeth? Oh, wow. You are high. Oh, it's just, <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm, I'm so, so I'm like, as long as I can read all of my notes, that's what, cause I'm like, listen, I, I, I care about this. Okay. I am getting a little high. I'm here okay. with you. 
I'm here with you too. (laughs) But I was telling you off. Yeah. Like I, so in preparation for this, I contacted my agent. I was like, listen, I think a literal text was, could I still be cast on the Disney channel if I smoke weed on my podcast? I'm just looking at your, at your face. I'm like, I don't know. But also, well, I ha- it's, yeah, because I just realized I have something on Disney plus right now. <laughs> I didn't think about that. You're so responsible. I mean, it's a short, it's a short film. I'm in it for a minute, you know. Oh, I thought you were gonna be like, it's a short joint. Like, it's fine. You know, Disney's like, just no long joints. It's just very strange. And it, it showed me like how much I still worry what people think and like what, what, oh, how people will judge. It's also like, what? The- yeah, anyway. Ultimately, I was like, what the fuck are they judging me for? This is stupid. Like, what are they judging me for? I think they'll judge me more for being worried that I'm being judged. I think that everybody will take this level of thought that you're giving to it and go, she's very high because she's thinking a lot about this (laughs) really clearly. And then they'll say, oh yeah, I get it too. Because like, no matter how, I I think you'd have to be an incredibly self, unself-conscious person to not be Mm. like, oh, it's a joint, you know, kind of thing. Mm. I'm even feeling that now. And it's only because I'm like, "Uh, I've already been on TV. I'm okay. You know, like I'm almost 50. And so I've said that twice now, but um, (laughs) there does come a certain point where you're like, fuck it. I'm going to smoke this weed, which is legal and which is a beautiful plant. And uh, people can think what they want, but uh, we're all like, we all worry, of course. And that's our trade, right? Like we're in the business of having people approve of us and mm-hmm. want to see us and get good feelings when our face comes on their screen yeah. or, or their, uh, their screen, their stage or whatever. So of course we worry about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, there are still things that people, you know, get canceled for. So. Yeah. Well, and it was, it was, uh, one of the things too, is that like, it also feels like in this business often your, which I don't think this is true, but it can feel like your future of your career is dependent on other people's perceptions of you. Cause they're like, oh yeah, I see her as, I could see her as this character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but really I realized what ends up happening is if, if you're too afraid to show the real sides of you, then you just become such a generic impression. Like you leave such a generic impression on people. They don't know who you are and they can't picture you as anything. So you might as well just show who you are. And then you'll be magnetized towards the thing that are like the things that are good for you that are fit yes. for you, you know? No, that's so true. It's a lesson I'm still kind of learning. There are even times where I look at, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how was I when I met that person? I was like, I was mm. a really nice, inoffensive version of myself. So you're just kind of slippery. There's nothing to, for people to like get caught on, but then there's nothing for them to grab on either. Nice. For one thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it takes a lot of confidence in a way to put yourself out there, but you do run that risk, but you're absolutely right. And that's a lesson I'm still learning. Everybody's learning. We're all just learning. We're all just learning. We're all just learning. Well, yeah. Okay. So I know that, uh, you grew up in Thunder Bay. I did. Yeah. And I would love to go back. So when you were growing up, what, okay. So what actors were you sort of looking up to or what shows were you dreaming about being on when you're like, I want to be a performer. I want to be like them. I want to be on this. Well, it's interesting you should ask that because I've, I've thought about this because mm-hmm. at the time I did not think I want to be a comedian or, or go into sketch comedy or anything like that. I did want to be an actor, but the things that I listened to the most were records that we had, um, like 40, not 45s, like long play uh, records and full on albums from Monty Python. Um, 
we had a Bill Cosby stand-up record, which I listened to over and over again. And I mean, obviously that's a, that word has a lot more meaning now in his name, but at the time, you know, like it was an incredibly funny album that I listened to again and again and again. And I listened to their albums over and over. Um, and I think my favorite shows were probably comedy. I think that, I don't even know if you know the, of the show's existence, but have you ever even heard of Three's Company? Yeah. Okay. Never seen so- it, but heard of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So when I was in high school, there was a period of time between like middle school, high school, where I would get home from school before everybody else. And there'd be like two hours of golden, like awesome television. It was like facts of life, uh, from like four to four 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think, uh, three's company from four 30 to five. And there was something else. And there was the golden girls also eventually in there. And, um, uh, but of all of, so I think like the golden girls I would watch, I never thought oh, I want to be on that. Cause I never yeah. thought I'd be that old, <laughs> yeah, um, but they, they made me fall all over laughing, particularly Betty white telling stories of like, you know, the weird people she dated in St. Uh, St. Olaf's. Um, uh, but John Ritter in three's company and that whole dynamic, like I loved those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird because I, I did not plan for a, a career in comedy, but I was like studying for one. Yeah. What did I really want to be in? Um, I mean, I, you know, I loved, I loved watching Cheers. I loved mm. falling in love with like the romantic leads. <laughs> I just wished I could do that, that kind <laughs> of thing. And I, you know, like go to see movies and I wanted to be, I, I remember seeing, um, um, uh, oh God, now I'm getting high and I can't remember the name of the movie. One of Robin Williams, <laughs> he stands on the desk and he's the teacher. And oh, the uh, Dead Poets Society. Oh, Poets Society. Yeah. That was the first time that I, that I sobbed in a movie. Mm. Um, like I, you know, had a few tears before, but I remember like, you know, cause after the guy kills himself, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, you haven't seen just, it. Like, yeah. Shock for a while. Spoiler, you haven't seen it. And you haven't then, seen so it in decades, time, yeah. Robin, uh, yeah, by the time Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hawke walks up, uh, goes and stands up on the desk and like the, the bagpipe music goes, you know, like I was just like weeping with the release oh. and the weirdness of it. So like those kinds of movies I, I would see and I wanted to do that. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of uh, putting yourself in places where you aren't actually like, you know, mm. I, I, um, there's just, just there were and still are more parts for men in Mm. in movies and stuff so there's a lot of times i was like i want to be like that guy um so you do this kind of i i to me it doesn't feel like an erasure of myself to me it feels like a doubling of like what's possible for me like there's the the part of me that is aurora and then there's a part of me that really wants to be aragorn and i don't Mm. mean like the female version of aragorn i mean like i want to be that like so um and to me that feels like just that that crazy um plasticity that we have as actors mm. right you're just like the you know recognizing that truth that beyond everything beyond beyond like the parts of our personality that we that we put together for dealing with our family and dealing with whatever friends we have like the essential humanness can become anything right mm. like the stem cell of your spirit kind of can become anything so movies like that that made me really emotionally transport into something you know i was, I was like oh, i want to do that and i went to york university like for drama again, wasn't thinking comedy. Uh, nobody there talks about comedy. It wasn't until the fourth year that I 
I got a laugh hosting something and I was like, hmm. and, um, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that was the kind of stuff I had done a little bit of improv in like grade 12 when I went to Quebec for a language camp and we did like a full on theater sports, mm-hmm. but I was, I had to do it in French. And so I was so busy thinking about the French that I didn't worry and make probably a whole lot of improv mistakes that I would have had I been like really just in like your head. In yeah. Head. And then because I was doing improv, my French was better. So it was just a, it was a great situation, but I, st- again, didn't think comedy like even then yeah I moved down to Toronto to go to York University and the whole time I was there I could have gone to the fire hall on Lombard didn't you know I remember even seeing posters for last tango on Lombard and going oh that's a cool thing but I never thought (laughs) about me yeah didn't want to go didn't have any you know and then later on I was like oh (laughs) I could have been doing it all this time (laughs) oh do you ever like I so often wish that I, anything that I love, I wish I did sooner. I'm always like, mm. oh, why didn't I do this sooner? Do you ever wish that you started, I don't know, do you wish that you got involved with Second City earlier or wish you started comedy earlier? That's a good question. Um, I mean, when I, when I did start Second City, I was so ready for it like and professionally like uh my career took off like a shot um even though I could barely afford the classes but they were like the highlight of my week and personally you know like when you're when your personal life is in kind of a strange place and, and you find something incredible creatively it's like whoa like yeah. so it had that going for it too so I was really ready for Second City everything that they'd been trying to teach me about acting at York and the drama classes I was finally able to synthesize when I was on main stage and I was I mean I was faking my way through through Second City because I like had not done most of these games hadn't even done all the courses uh was trying to in like figure out what people meant by the rules to that game by listening to them talk about it you know like I was just I just felt I felt like a total noob in the woods it seemed like such an enormous crowd of but everybody knew each other and there were so many funny people and mm. and second cities and something so i i knew that i could bring you know uh the york drama program with me and like not that they're not that <laughs> yeah. everybody else were also great actors as well but um i figured like i would just like hunker down into that because i'm not a very i'm not a naturally funny person the way say like a paul bates is where he's just like a premise generator and knows exactly how to create a laugh and like if when I say things that are funny it's usually by accident or because I'm being really sincere and then I'm like oh oh right that was a that was a joke I mean I've gotten better at that obviously but um yeah I guess in a way of course when I I was like oh why didn't I go to that building because then I would have met this and that person uh of course I could. And it's, it's a good reminder to like right now, it's like, Oh, what am I missing now? Like I could go mm. out and do things, you know, it, it felt so awesome when I finally did find it, but who knows, maybe, mm. you know, I was pretty uptight in high school and university and, and uh, I might not have been able to loosen up enough to do improv because improv, as you know, is mm. like, it's a nightmare. So, like, I remember, oh, be, I remember yeah. before I took classes being once like this crazy, like Ukrainian, you know, like kind of, uh, or Czechoslovakian director, like he did, okay, you got to show up in the middle of a show and like, just come in and you like step up from the audience and do the monologue. And we're like, oh, okay. He didn't tell the actress in the scene that that was going to happen. So we just stood oh. up. She's like 
uh, and she, we had never met her. So she was just looking at us. Um, like I imagine the look on that was been on my face at, when I was really new at improv of just like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. Like it was literally a nightmare for her. So it was really strange to be that, be that nightmare. Um, <laughs> to be that nightmare. Yeah. Be the nightmare for somebody else and go, oh, dad, this is what it, this is what it looks like when I feel the same way you're feeling right now. <laughs> yeah. You're such an incredibly, ex- incredibly experienced improviser. Wow. That was hard to get those three words out of my brain. Um, uh-huh. And, and I totally agree with what you were saying. I think so much of what makes you a better improviser likely is what you need in your personal life or can just help you. It's such a mirror. I'm wondering what's like for me, a lot of the things, you know, like trust yourself, just connect with the person in front of you. So many of those things I learned in class, a teacher early on told me improv is like therapy. And I was like, and then later I was like, oh fuck, he was right. Damn it. Um, So I'm wondering for you, what's something that improvising has helped you change in your personal life for the better? Ooh, that's a good question. I didn't see you going there. Ooh. Uh, that was just, so I was like, oh, you're going to talk about, oh, oh, you're going to talk about, um, <laughs> personally, what has it helped me do? Many things, or I hope that it, I've identified at least many problems. Like, who knows if I've actually fixed them. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't know how much effect it's had. And you can ask my, my coworkers for the last few years, I have a huge <laughs> issue uh, with interrupting. Uh, and I do it a lot. And um, even though I hate being interrupted, I, I have this uh, lack of flow with conversation. And that's partially from having a dad who is like, almost bipolar and Mm. will like ask you a question. And while you're just begun answering it, he'll zip away to somebody else, you know, that kind of thing. Plus there's a lot of kids in my family. Mm. I'm the youngest of five. So I was always like having, feeling like I wasn't being literally heard at the table. Mm -hmm. And so there've been so many times I have tried to get myself to do the, that very basic game of like, so what you're saying is, you know, like to take a breath <laughs> yeah. and then to listen to the end of the sentence. And, um, um, and I find I, I, I do that also, I do it less in improv than I do in life. So mm. I, that's what I've tried anyway. Um, I do remember there was, it was a, there was a watershed summer for my improv And it was a good, it was a good life lesson as well. I had already done main stage at second city. Um, and I felt like I'd finally, you know, as I was leaving, like achieved a level of skill that the the job deserved, but, um, it was several years after that. And it was a summer where, uh, it had just been preceded. I'd just been able to sit in on the second city auditions for the Mm. first time, I think. And it was like the general auditions. So I was sitting there for a few days watching like group after group after group of people come in and audition. And I highly recommend watching auditions to anybody who's in the performing Mm. arts because it just like, it's illuminating about how you enter a room, what certain behaviors can look like, even no Mm -hmm. matter who's doing them, you know? Um, one of the other interesting things about it was that, you know, cause there were so many people and it was long days and part of your brain is really concentrating and being mm-hmm. open for each person and giving them all their best. But part of you was like thinking gazillion thoughts. And we started keeping 
lists of things that people were doing a lot. We started keeping lists because weirdly some things started coming up multiple times in a day, like weirdly specific things, like somebody saying, I'm Whitney Houston or whatever, or endowing somebody as a deli counter. Like some, uh, some there was some things where it's like, oh, that's strange. It's in the ether today, in the ether today, I should say. <laughs> um, but, then, but then we started taking little notes of just like, like, oh, blocking plant, you know, like, and, and you know, asking questions and like blank, like just all those regular kind of like basic rules of improv. Yeah. And it was shocking, you know, shocking how not shocking, but like to see it baldly when you break it down that way, like how many times people were doing things. And it just really drove home. Um, the, one of the most basic, basic rules, which is to make positive choices in mm. scenes. And again, I am a naysayer. I am a worrier. I'm a Virgo. I'm like, mm, are you sure about that? Should we do that? Like I, I hold back the action in my old life all mm. the time. And that summer I was like, huh, I really got to just got, I, I think that was the rule that, uh, you know, that was the yeah, rule that I, that I decided to home in on. It's just like make positive choices in scenes, like make scenes that not just say, say, sure, I'll go along with that but like that forward the action that keep it going. Mm. I mean, I didn't have to get crazy about it in like a Keith Johnstone kind of way. Cause they'll be like, you know, like, then you stay clearly next, you step on the frog. That's what has to happen. Like, well, yeah, like, okay, we but, can also know. just go look so, at the yeah. frog, like chill. Yeah. Yeah. But just like it, and it meant that I got up out of my mime card, go to the other person's car more often than just sitting there and chatting mm. with them in a funny kind of way, which I, I am prone to do a lot. You know, mm. I, I'm a, and, and that summer I had the opportunity to do that too, because monkey toast had taken over the, the nights at the transact when the, the, when the fringe, um, the, the fringe, you know, center used to be in the, in the transact mm. club there. And so every night we did an improv show and I did some of the best improv of my life during that week mm. or that 10 days that summer. And it was just, I felt like I'd hit a plateau with my improv mm -hmm. and just, just going back and just dialing those really basic principles just made my improv like shoot off in the stratosphere again. Mm. Um, and I'd had such a, like a really steep learning curve at second city, but of course learning, even though scary is really enjoyable, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, you know, achieving and leveling up feels amazing. And I, I just felt for a while, I was like, what am I doing? And so that kind of really made me better improviser for sure. Um, a more physical one, a more active one, and just one that like let scenes keep happening. Mm. And as a writer that has, has done so well, um, or, you know, just remembering that is like, are these people just, you know, sitting, talking about nothing? Like, where do we have to go? Like, there are only so many minutes that we have screen time. Like mm -hmm. the story's got to go somewhere when I'm editing, um, that kind of thing, you just start to have this feeling for like, this is just slowing the action down. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it better be charming. If you're going to stop the scene from happening for several minutes while you and you have this other character say funny stuff to each other, it better be pretty funny. Yeah, I'm not yeah. that funny. I have to keep, make the, <laughs> keep the scene going along. Um, so, so I would say that, that kind of thing, like just those, those, I remember that summer really specifically and having the opportunity to observe a ton of improv mm -hmm. and then a good chunk of time with enough, you know, um, enough technique and, and 
hours on stage behind me that I had the tools to do it. And then also I was improvising with like Jack Moss hammer and, you know, mm-hmm. Lisa Merchant and like, like just incredibly good people for like some of the best, you know, I mean, Lisa Merchant is like in the scene and, and um, she's taught and inspired so many people. And Jack is just like, maybe, and I know a lot of great improvisers and he's maybe the best one I know. It's really hard to make that call. Yeah, um, yeah it was just so much fun mm. and and fun to learn. And I and I felt like I it was a I could feel myself learning the lesson and applying the lesson, and so that felt really satisfying. <laughs> that does that that always feels sort of like that's I mean that's the great validation. And you know mm. it's so it's so interesting to think like if I'm picturing and I know this is like so simplifying it because I'm just taking the points that you've told me, but thinking of like a young Aurora, who's the youngest of five, who's like, Kate, is my voice going to be heard? Hello. And then you speaking about like conversational patterns with your dad. And I'm thinking, well, of course, on one hand, performing would feel so wonderful because you know, when your time comes, like there's, there are, there is a lot of time for you to say your lines and for you to have your action and that be your moment. And you know, when it's coming, but then I thought, wait a second, but then you, you seem so naturally attracted to improv which you don't, I mean, you're still on stage and you still have, you know, as performers, we still have that validation of like, okay, people are watching and listening, but you don't know when your time's going to come or if it's going to somebody endows you as like a deli counter, like you said, and then you don't get to talk or whatever. So it's just, yeah, it's so interesting that that's sort of the area of performance that you naturally were drawn to. You know, I hadn't drawn that uh, conclusion about improv because in a way, improv is like a more concentrated version of the family dinner table, right? Mm. Like it's like there's more reward and more, you know, the, the competition's pretty stiff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're right. I guess it is weird um, that I would uh, dive into it, but maybe it isn't weird. I mean, you know, we always want to get in with our old trauma, right? Sometimes we marry it. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. we just date it for a while. Sometimes we do it for a living. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Oh God, I was, I'm high, but I had a really good thought. Was That's it? the highest thing I've ever heard you say. I've ever heard you say. I'm I've, been, so I've literally full of good thoughts. only ever talked to you for an hour in my entire life. I'm like, That's the highest thing you've ever said. Like, really? <laughs> oh, I say it every week. Um, what was I going to say? It was, um, but improv. Oh, but, uh, when a set goes well, mm. it, it, is so it's like a hundred times satisfying more satisfying than having a good conversation with your family right like (laughs) that that feeling and i think it's more available to you when you're on stage because even though you don't know what's going to happen there's still like you know 40 to 60 people watching what you're doing Mm -hmm. and they're giving you all your attention so you have this arena where it's like okay these people on stage are talking maybe Mm -hmm. we don't know which of them is going to talk but we have the uh, your attention so it's like a fantasy come true there's not only people looking at you but lights pointed at you like yeah, yeah. you're what like more could a where are the want? people yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and then um you know like i don't know how you characterize when you know that you've been part of a really hot night like a really mm-hmm. hot set but for me uh i'll try to describe what it actually feels like on a really hot night I don't have to worry about interrupting the person because I'm watching them and I'm listening to them. And at the same time, I know where their sentence is going and I can feel the proper response that I should say. Like, it's like, I can see the sentence arcing over from that 
mm. that um, performer over to me. And when it actually like lands on my head is with the time I'm supposed to say it. Like it, it can get that weird and metaphysical. And I'm not, I don't, I don't uh, drink or smoke anything before I go on stage because it's too <laughs> scary. Yeah, I That's don't just either, how yeah. metaphysical it gets. Yeah. But you know, like when, when I've had a really great night or been part of a hot set, like, you know, not only me being funny and on it, but everybody being funny and on it. Um, I, I, the feeling that I get is what I hear people describing. They get after a good meditation mm. uh, session. I've never been able to meditate to me. It's like, it's too, too much stillness, but I can be, I can let the rest of the world and just be in the moment in the middle of a good scene because I'm not even writing it. Like it's just the scene is coming to me. And so I, I feel so energized and happy and loving and awake after a good scene. And, and you know, like a good set is literally the best feeling in the world. Yeah. It's been so long. It's been so I long. Know. I've never done a good improv night. Uh, like, ugh. I know. God, if that's not like an, a, a, the most fantastic advertisement for people to start learning improv and performing improv. I don't know whatever is like, cause I think too, you know, I think there's a validate, I mean, cause we're talking about validation, even in that there's a validation in that, that is unlike anything else. Cause you walk off and you're like, the only thing up there was me and those people. Like mm -hmm. the, we all came together. And the only way that happened is if we all connected, we all, you know, allowed our minds to get still enough to, to allow that, like, we're saying like connecting on a whole other level and mm -hmm. fuck. Yeah. Oh, it makes me miss improv. Oh, that's so nice. That's so, so wonderful. Oh. I was saying this the other day. I like, I miss even like watching a show, like sitting in a crowded audience, like shoulder to shoulder and, you know, laughing at something together. Cause when you're watching a hot set and you're part of like a crowd, that's all working together and laughing together, that is also like its own oh. special night. Right. Like when you're all like, there's an, it's like, there's an in joke that you all have with a performer mm -hmm. on stage. So everybody's laughing. And even if, you know, like those kind of nights, like I miss the crowds of that. I miss, mm -hmm. um, I mean, even the bits that I'm bad at, like I'm the, <laughs> the introductions, I'm like, hello. And I'm, you know, like don't know what to say to anybody and like all the social awkwardness and all that kind of stuff. But like, man, it's, it's, um, I mean, you realize like, if you know how, like the essential workers of theater are actually the audience. They're the people who come mm -hmm. to it because it's just not the same without them. I know. You can do Zoom shows. Yes. And some and people are great at that. them. Me. Some people are great at it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm just, I want that live dialogue with the audience. Like that's, that's so much of it for yeah. me is having that, that I just, yeah, I would miss that. But yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't wait to get back to it. That's what I have to tell myself. I can't wait. When, when we go back, I'm going to have so many socially awkward conversations with people and fucking love it. I'm like, do you want a small, I don't even know who you are and I don't even like you. Do you want a small talk? Cause I'm so fortunate to be in your presence right now. We'll um, still be on the same page. We'll still yeah, be a little yeah. bit on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So you come from a family of artists. I know your maternal grandparents are both like, iconic Canadian sculptors and artists. <laughs> I forgot about Marco telling you. This. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. And so your grandmother, Elizabeth Winwood, studied, oh, and so cool, like studied and also was friends with people in the group of seven, which is like so freaking wonderful and also an amazing sculptor herself. And then mm -hmm. your grandfather, Emmanuel Hahn. Okay. I thought this was so cool. Also made tons of, you know, his whole career seems cool, but it's so cool that he designed the uh, Canada's Voyager dollar or dollar coin, almost a dollar bill, dollar coin. 
and yeah. the 10 cent blue nose schooner, which is yeah. so cool too. I, when I learned this, I like went over and got my dime and my quarter out. Uh, sorry. And also the caribou on the 25 cent coin. And, and I'm thinking like, okay, growing up in Thunder Bay and then moving to Toronto as an aspiring artist. And then as an artist yourself, um, what was it like being literally surrounded by like various forms of art created by your family? Was that inspiring to you? Like, or was that intimidating, daunting? Were you like, this is in my blood? How was that? Uh, it's a good question because when you say literally, like literally, like literally. Sculpt sculpture all over the house is yeah. what I, is what I, because like, not just, I mean, we just always knew like, oh, granddaddy did this and this and this and stuff. So we knew, but like, you know, they had done a lot of sculpture and, and some of it, my mom just had around the house. So like, there was like the one woman with her, her hands, you know, in this kind of position. So we'd like put her, our mitts on her hands <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Or we, I'd like, when I was really little, I would like play with them. And mm -hmm. so it, they seemed totally unremarkable. I thought everybody had like portraits of their grandmother <laughs> yeah. hanging up. I later learned that that plus a to not a finished basement and no cable di didn't do any favors for me in Thunder Bay. I was like the only person uh, who like didn't know. <laughs> like, I knew some culture and not others at all. There was one time I was in <laughs> I was in grade seven. I'd switched to this new school. It was kind of like a banger school and mm. headbanger school. And, um, I was playing, um, I was playing, uh, hangman mm. with this girl that I was getting to know in grade seven. And I was playing and I just was not getting this thing. And this crowd was, was joining and people were losing their minds <laughs> because the solution was lead epilin and I had no idea what it was and I could oh, not I did no. of course didn't guess Zed I just didn't get put Zeppelin I was like you don't guess Zed in Hangman know. yeah oh, oh you know like because that God. was just not the kind of culture that my family was was into and I felt totally humiliated and I was like oh. this is not what I was told about the outside world <laughs> um that people would make fun of me for not knowing a band. Um, oh. anyway, so, so there's that. So in like, in some ways I, yeah, I know a lot. My, my mom's godfather was Lauren Harris, you know, like it, it, it was, they hung out together. Um, I will say mm. it, it gives me, well, it gave me one kind of appreciation for the landscape. Mm. Um, that actually, if you look on the old silver dollar, there's, um, the Voyager one, uh, behind the canoe, there's a very small kind of like uh, island that is a really Georgian Bay, you know, Canadian Shield kind of thing. And that's mm. actually based on uh, an actual island that my grandfather bought in the 20s. Um, and it's still in the family. Um, and for a few years, it was actually, uh, th there was a sculpture specifically about that island by her that I think is what he used in the, her sculpture was called Northern Island and it was this beautiful 3D sculpture. And then he put it in the background of his own thing as kind of a, you know, cause they both loved that stuff. And Aww. for a while that actual sculpture was the award that they would give out at the Canadian Screenwriters Hall of Fame. So like Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and like a bunch of incredible- Wait, they uh, wrote screenplays? No, they, they, they just used that, that sculpture as the, as the actual award that they gave to, to people who are in the songwriters hall of fame. Oh, for songwriter. Oh my God. I heard sorry. screenwriter. I'm sorry. so sorry. It was like Leonard Cohen wrote a screenplay. I'm 
I'm no, no, so no, no. sorry. I was, I was mumbling. So cool. So like, so that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, um, it is really cool. And, it, and it's a certain slice of Canadian history and, you know, art, but I mean, you know, it's only a certain slice. Like it wasn't until I read about Chani Wenjack that I was like, wait a minute, who was there before they had, you know, like all those kind of questions you never yeah. ask yourself growing up. Yeah. Like I just, I didn't really question the distribution of land in Northwestern Ontario around Thunder Bay. I didn't know until a few years ago uh, mm. about a lot of stuff that went on up there anyway. So I say that because I don't want to just be like, Oh, incredible Canadian history. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. so that Island is like, is part of a area that, um, uh, used to have people living on it and they shrank down to a reservation and then people Mm -hmm. like my grandfather and the crown you know uh had it so now we get to go camping on it that's that's a full history of of the silver dollar well i do have to say one of my favorite baroness von sketch Baroness von Sketch sketches. I always fuck it up when I say the sketch twice. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite sketches uh, that is on the show is the land acknowledgement sketch. Like yeah. I, I worked at uh, TIFF for a while, and I just it was it was one of the first years they were starting to do land acknowledgements, and I was just like, this is, I don't understand what the point of that was. Like, it was just yeah. like, so they were here before us. No, 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 no. That's not the right wording. We're going to fix it. Like all the wording just didn't feel sufficient. And your, your sketch land acknowledgement, it was just like, I just kissed oh. like a, like a pizza pasta. Well, credit for that. Carolyn Taylor wrote it and she oh. was really, uh, she wanted to really slice the issue mm. correctly because she felt that same kind of like, what is this kind of thing? Like, cause on one hand you're like, huh, you know what? I, I never, I didn't even know some of those mm-hmm. names. I didn't, you know, was never made to know, or, you know, could get away without knowing a lot of those names. Um, didn't really think too deeply about who was here before. Again, you just mm-hmm. kind of accept the country you're given. Mm-hmm. Um, so on, on that end of things, it was like, oh, okay. I see why we're talking about this, but then pretty swiftly, it's like, so should we go? Like, yeah, it doesn't, it's like, say, like unseated. It's like, we're here. Should, should oh, we feel, be feeling bad yeah. about this? And like, what is yeah. it? You know, like, are we going to do anything about it? And so I, I think it's that after a while of just hearing it, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's just the very, very first opener of a conversation. Yes. And if it doesn't go beyond it to anything else, then it's, you know, it's like in any relationship you're like uh we could talk all we want but until you actually you know clean your underwear up then you know fix this <laughs> yeah. we're, we're not going to go anywhere we can have the same it's conversation not happen. A times. yeah exactly. exactly we can flirt forever but if you don't ask me out on a date nothing's gonna yeah nothing's going i don't know and um uh, you know like i think also there's um the the same willingness that uh, whatever you want to call it, like the, the progressives or the left or whatever you want to call it, like, you know, the, the same willingness that, you know, to listen and to try to make sure that other, that, you know, other voices than the same white ones are in there, that same impulse 
is not very far away from the same impulse to be seen, to be mm. trying to hear, like mm. you want to make sure that you're saying and doing the right things and, but that it only goes so far. And I think that that's a lot of people's frustration with, you know, people who are like trying to do and think the woke things, but then it doesn't actually translate to mm-hmm. too much action. And it's certainly like, you know, that was like last year. And then we've seen like an intensity of that kind of sentiment this year where people are like, oh, really? Like, you know, like you're changing your, you know, you're changing the logo to like a black, you know, Reddit sign mm-hmm. for a few weeks, but is that over now? Is that over? You know, like, I think that that's, it, it's, and I did think it was pretty, uh, it was pretty good territory to go in because it was this kind of uncomfortable thing, but I just thought that Carolyn was just so smart about it because it, mm-hmm. it is about the hypocrisy of like, we'll just keep saying it, but what are we going to do guys? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I thought it was a really well-written scene and uh, I had a lot of fun being that woman. Being that, oh, you did it so well. It was so great. And the, the, I think one of the most, like one of the masterful parts of the scene, watching it too, was the line where um, Carolyn, I'm paraphrasing, but where Carolyn says like, okay, we're just supposed to enjoy the show. Like, it's like, you're going to, you're going to make me think you're going to, you're going to bring awareness to that. Wonderful. Now you're telling me, okay, but ignore it. Enjoy the show. So now you're acting me to let, you're asking me to like actively choose to forget to, it's just, yeah, I loved that part. Okay. So we're going to enjoy the show now. We, we thought about it for a minute and now you can go back yeah. to ignoring it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, such a good part. Yeah. It's kind of like, in a way it's like, I wonder, and you know, hopefully I put this correctly um, so that my thoughts are clear, but in the same way that people cut themselves sometimes mm-hmm. to get the rush of endorphin that comes after it, or, you know, you put yourself through some punishing kind of thing because of the endorphin rush. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wonder if um, people uh, want to talk about these terrible things for just a couple of minutes so that they feel the rush of like, mm. and now I've talked about that thing, brought awareness to, and they can feel good about themselves and they just yeah. go back to like everything being the same. Like it's, it's, yeah, that's, I think she's a bit on the money. Bold on that. God, Bold just, slipped, that. just slipped right into a perfect fucking accent there. Look at that. <laughs> oh, that is, I mean, absolutely. I mean, so many people I think walk around worrying that they're a bad person. And so Absolutely. I think like, okay, well, if I talk about this thing that then I will get the message from other people, they think I'm good for a couple minutes. Thank God I'm not a shitty person. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I think it's, again, it's that like performative aspect that you're talking about of like, okay, but now it's got, you got to make it a little, it has to be a little bit harder for you. Like the Mm -hmm. work, there has to be a little bit of work. It's not going to be that easy Mm -hmm. to like do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. I totally get, I mean, when people are like, God, pat on the back. Good for you. Of course, that's an endorphin rush. Of course you're like, thank God someone thinks I'm good. Yeah. Cause here I was worrying them a piece of shit in my tiny bubble house. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but just, you know, push past that. You don't need to feel good. Other people are feeling awful. Let's uh, not feel good for a second. <laughs> just do some of the work, you know? What? 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 No. no. Being okay with feeling bad for many minutes in a row. Like it's such a skill. <laughs> I know people are always like kids these days. They don't know how to do it. Is that true though? Like, is it, wait, how old are you? I'm, 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 oh my God. Did you almost tell me you were 19? I tried to tell you. What is you. going on here? I tried to tell you the year I was born and how old I was at the same time. And it wouldn't come out. I'm 30. I was born in 1990. That's what I was Beautiful. trying to say. Oh, 1990. I Finally. remember that year so mm. well. Um, 
I, uh, what was I going to say? I, I know like you always read stuff from people going like, I don't know, these kids, you know, like mm-hmm. they can't just like fend for themselves and stuff like that. And, but I, to be honest, I don't, I'm not out there enough to know if that's something new or do younger generations always seem a little sensitive or I don't know. Like what mm-hmm. is the, uh, I feel like they always have crazy. something. I feel like I feel like there's always there's always a oh kids these days. There's always something. There's some version of that. Somewhere. You know, oh, somebody's oh. always complaining about. Yeah, kids um, these days smoking legal weed on so podcasts. Cute. You know, and we're like, oh. I also didn't know what to say. I feel like such a loser. I'm like, do I call it Mary J? Do I call it pot? Do I call it weed? Like, what will what will make Aurora think I'm cool? And I this isn't the first time I've smoked. That's literally I was coming in. I was like, what the fuck do I call it? I don't remember actually what you called it, Me but neither. I remember thinking, wow, this woman is extremely cool. <laughs> You're such a used. good liar. Is You're such cool? a good actor. <laughs> no, I think don't, don't, oh my God, don't worry about what I think. And you are very cool. Thank you, you so much. Podcast. I don't well, have a podcast. I don't have the discipline to do a podcast. Jesus, you actually been like following up the dates and reminding me with links and like <laughs> doing it. I'm like, I have great ideas with no follow through. Oh my God. No, but here's the thing. This is, I think this is, uh, this podcast, I, uh, sent an email to Ashley Como in 2016, asking her feedback. It took me this long to do it because it's the, what is that perfectionist till paralysis or whatever? That's what right. I do. That's what I do. You know, I'm Same. actually, I'm curious because so I know before Baroness, you had so much experience writing and acting on stage and on screen. On stage writing. I don't know that I didn't have as much screenwriting, but, but oh, screenwriting. Yes, you're, right. Done- you're right. You're right. Like, what the fuck am I doing? My of course you're right. Thing. It's on you. Like, yeah, of course <laughs> you're right. Talking about you. Duh. Well, I'm also, I just like, I, I did feel like a junior, you know, like I, I, I definitely had done, done a lot of writing the second city way mm-hmm. for sure. But, uh, but I'm just, I'm just being modest anyway. Sorry. I cut you off. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I was wondering going into specifically like creating a TV show, what surprised you about it when you were going into season one that maybe you like thought was going to be different or you didn't think about going into it. What was like, yeah, what was a surprise about it, about the process? Mm. I mean, I'd done a lot of, um, I, I'd done a lot of work in front of a camera. So I certainly knew like, you know, the process of doing stuff. And as many people do, like, you know, we've done like so many, you know, like, hey, we're shooting a video this weekend for my sketch troupe. Can you be in it? You know, like, of course, we'd all done that. I'd edited yeah. some things, you know. So I knew that I liked it. I had just been working on a web series with Nadine DeJury called Newborn Moms. And so we had been producing that. I think the biggest surprise was, oh, that, I mean, it's, it's hard because there's a lot. I mean, I learned the most about the things that I had no knowledge of, things like distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I was surprised at how how quickly that taste of creative control freed my mind from something that I think we all get very used to in this country, Mm -hmm. which is thinking small, because you have to think about what is possible and you have to, you know, judge, you know, can I pay my rent? Do I need to do this ad? 
you know, am I going to be a reader? Like you're, you're always thinking of just on a survival level, especially when you're an improviser and you're so used to doing everything that you do for free. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get five bucks after a show, it's like, woo, amazing. Like, it's drinks like, on me, like multiple exactly. as if, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because we had been given an incredible amount of creative control uh, mm. for being Baroness. I'm still amazed that we got it. We, you know, from the very get-go, we had creative say, not meaningful consultation or anything like that. It was the Baronesses have final creative say. And, you know, I think that that's the, the chutzpah of, of Carolyn Taylor, Meredith McNeil, like, but also the, the chutzpah of us being like, no, I'm, I'm in my forties now and I've done enough. I, I do know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and being given that and then seeing it follow through to fruition. I was surprised at, at how much I could fake being an executive producer. It was a real fake until you make it. I was like, I know that I am an executive producer, but I'm going to be today playing the role of an executive <laughs> producer. Mm -hmm. and you know like we all had tons of smarts and experience like we did have all the knowledge but having Mm -hmm. that confidence um so getting the confidence from being an executive producer but then just being able to produce something well and I, i i i mean of course not everything that we did was a was a home run but we did many many times come up with something that we're so proud of that and also that that we felt we were really able to from the, like the very first idea to here's the fully realized vision mm. and i'm surprised at the attitude it gave me which and i use the word attitude carefully because it is a little bit of an attitude of like no they need to give canadian creators like a lot more thing it gave me when i was like then shortly afterwards being given a shitty contract mm. um i went from being you know like a nice canadian girl to being like are you kidding me? We're going to talk out this option because that's the <laughs> fucking business we're in, dude. You know, like that kind of thing. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that we have convinced ourselves as Canadians that that kind of stuff isn't possible mm-hmm. because so many of, so much of the time it isn't, you know, you do have to go somewhere else to get, you know, the States has so many more people and so much more money, but they do have a bit of a more adventurous attitude because of it. Mm-hmm. And our waspy roots even if you're not actually wasp, it's kind of there in the, in the accepted culture of the country. And so for instance, there's, you know, like we all know, know about the struggles of, of when productions come here, they have to satisfy a certain number of key positions must be filled by Canadians for them to Mm -hmm. get their tax credit. And it used to be like eight out of 10 had to be Canadian, but Mm -hmm. now it's like down to six. And there was a lot of concern about this because it meant that Canadian actors wouldn't be used as much. And, you know, that's bread and butter for a lot of people. That's how you pay mm-hmm. the rent so that you can do your creative things. And, um, and I remember, you know, like we were even asked to, you know, could we come to a meeting and talk about it? And I, I couldn't actually go to the meeting, but I remember thinking, I sent them a message going, I can't come. But what I would really say is that we all need to be pitching way more, mm. pitching ideas to networks way more than we do. And that surprised me the most, just realizing that like, oh, uh, Canadian television can only make as good an idea as they are offered, mm. that, that we actually do have much more potential to make a really great television scene here, but it takes um, a bit of a chance on the top, on part of the people handing out money. Again, I still don't know how we convince them to give us all that. 
it does seem like a weird anomaly. Um, but also we just have to believe in ourselves that little bit more. So I was surprised mm-hmm. at how, how quickly I was able to believe in myself. And I think it's also because there was a team of four of us. Like for myself, I would not have been that forward. Like none of us wanted to let down the other three. So it's like, well, actually we really need this, you know, kind of thing. And we started being really good at just like asking for what, asking for the fries and, Mm -hmm. you know, asking for the good stuff and repeatedly asking for really, for the better promotional material, which sometimes didn't go to us. Um, (laughs) Anywho, um, (laughs) it's like, I'd love a bus shelter at some point. That would be great. Um, (laughs) Give me one bus shelter. It doesn't even have to have a bus that goes there anymore. Just like, give me a bus shelter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a little bit like the chicken, the chicken or the egg, or the, that's the perception of it is like, well, if they're not, if it doesn't seem like they're investing in Canadian content, then no one's going to want to pitch. But if they're not pitching, then nobody, but I do think you're right. It's like, well, it doesn't hurt to keep pitching. I mean, I don't know. I'm saying that from very limited pitch experience, but uh, yeah, I mean, one doesn't go without the other, but definitely like keep, keep pitching. You're totally right. No, you're totally right. Because also like, it's not just that like, it's, it's not just that as creators, we need to believe in ourselves a little bit more, but also the people her handing out the money needs yeah. to like get more. They're the ones really who are like, they're literally the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that, um, and, and I wish for CBC and let's give props to CBC because like as, as much as, you know, people are always going to find fault with CBC for something mm-hmm. like they, they're the game in town who's at, who are actually working with Canadian creators. So awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish that in general, in this country, there was more that people would trust their own experience as viewers. I think that in general, this is a big generalization, mm. in a place like say New York City, um, people are ready to like, whoa, I just watched something and that was really cool. I think other people will also find this cool. So I'm going to sh- go and show them this really cool thing. Mm. Whereas here it's like, I kind of thought that was cool. Did anybody else think that was cool? You know, like yes. they want to check to make sure. You know, like Sam B, she was auditioning here in Toronto. She was a sketch artist here, couldn't get in the door. And then she got hired in The Daily Show because she's amazing. She was just like her innateness. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, We auditioned the same. I remember sitting there with her and like, uh, and it was just like inevitable that she would be hired on that show. And then look at all this. And then like cue to like the next year. It's like, oh, can you come and, you know, be a host on the Gemini's? And it's like, nobody even wanted to see her in the door. You know, like there are many, many, many really talented Canadians, Mm -hmm. but you need to have the courage of people saying, I really believe in this person. I'm going to take a chance and saying yes and not go by committee kind Mm -hmm. of, you know? Yes. It's like, well, and it's even, it's so ingrained in so many ways. Like even I'm thinking when you said, yeah, I gained an attitude and I'm like, it sounds like you gained faith and confidence, but like, I think we're so used to calling it, you know, I think we're so afraid of not being humble maybe, or afraid of seeming like we're boastful. And it's like, I think, I think our worry of that, we're never going to surpass boastful. Like our at best, we're going to seem confident. Like we can just, you know, believe in ourselves, but you're right. Also the people dishing up money, like believe that the people here are fucking funny and talented. Also, they, there's not as many opportunities. So they're, I mean, I don't know. Now I'm just making it. Now I'm like, go Canada. We're working double as hard. But anyway, there's <laughs> such talented people here. I so agree with you on that. And, and I'm so glad that Baroness got such like, it seems like it's so widely received in a positive way. I mean, I oh, remember yeah. first season coming out 
like afterwards and like celebrities posting little videos saying like, oh, this is so funny. I love this. I think like Vogue magazine said something about, I'm paraphrasing like, oh, this is the best thing to come out of Canada since Ryan Gosling. And didn't you get compared to Amy Schumer? I think that was New York magazine. Like that's incredible. Like I'm wondering oh, yeah. after like the first season having that, and I know it must feel different to somebody in it versus on the outside, but how did it feel after first season going into second season um, with sort of those expectations? Like, did you get to celebrate the victory of, of season one or were you just terrified that you had to live up to it for season two? Ooh, good question. Um, I mean, season one, we did uh, without any eyes on us mm -hmm. because nobody was aware of it. And we shoot so far in advance mm -hmm. that actually we were writing season two while season one was, was beginning Ooh, to air. Okay. So I remember that we were in the writing room the day that the first scene was going out digitally. And I remember Carolyn at her computer going, okay, here we go. And she, oh, you know, no. we were all so paranoid that people were just going to like say horrible things about us. Um, and it didn't go that way. Um, and then I remember, yeah, like it, it's, it's pretty surreal. Like everybody who said incredible things are like that people were writing about it. Um, and then like for me personally, like I had a person who I really admired mm. um, tweet about the show. And like, so Michael McKeon, who's now on Better Call Saul, but like I knew him from like seeing him in Spinal Tap and Spinal Tap was a huge one for me. Actually, when you ask about things that I watched, I remember watching Spinal Tap and being blown away by the level of acting that was possible where mm. I was like, oh, and I remember specifically it was a scene just after the Stonehenge debacle mm. and the manager or no. And um, uh, so Michael McKean's character is sitting there just chewing out the manager and he was so angry. He was so good. And I remember that scene specifically going, oh, wow. So that's how committed you can be. Like it was just, okay, I get it now. You know, like oh. I, and so the fact that he specifically tweeted about the show, like I, I was so a flutter. I couldn't oh. believe it. Um, and, and we've had many people say nice things, you know, like Janine Garofalo came to be on set. Oh my God, and I was I'm like, such a fan. Oh I my know, God. I couldn't believe. Yeah. Oh, that's so she cool. She is tiny. She oh, is really? so, <laughs> so tiny. You can't even believe it. Um, and she was amazing. And she was like, you know, a cool person super prepared, you know, was staying just a few blocks from the studio we were shooting, didn't want the driver. She's like, I'm going to walk. She had her own cool, like she was kind of uh, like what you'd like love to grow up to be living in New York. I don't think she has any social media. You know, she's just like always been herself. She's too cool for it. Genuinely. She doesn't think she's too cool. She just is too cool. She just is too oh, cool. I love yeah. her. She was great. And, uh, and we, it was because we'd heard that she was in town doing a, a writer's workshop and she'd done some stand up and she was talking about the show from the stage and people were like, uh, you could probably be on the show if you wanted, you know, like, and she loved the show. And so that was pretty amazing. I think that the whole, the yeah. whole offering that we've made to peak TV, it's like, here's, here's our sketch show. Take it. Please. Yeah. Hope it's good enough. Like the best reward is that when people I admire, admire it back fuck yeah um because i get like uh, it, it means that i might be able to talk to them in a normal way <laughs> as opposed to like the craziness of my fan my fanness. yeah god but then how do you go like so you go from that like you know people you look up to so much tweeting about the show wanting to be on the show 
how do you make season after season and not worry about like, oh fuck, how am I going to keep this up? Like, how do you, or do, or maybe that's not even on your mind. I don't know. Uh, let's see. It's, it is a bit of a, of a, a tunnel that we mm-hmm. win because it, it it's a full year job and if you're being the showrunner which carolyn was at first and then mm-hmm. jen took over it's really overlapping because like we'll start hiring we'll start thinking about the hiring in like february of a year going back you know like even earlier if we've been like having conversations about who do we really want to for the big positions like directing or whatever so we start like talking about hiring in like february early march or sorry, February. And then we were like writing by mid-March and then the writing goes by the time we are in season four, we had 10 episodes. So that would be like 10 weeks plus a couple more weeks just to like account for the overages that we want to shoot. Mm. And then there'll be a couple of weeks of like just the Baroness's fine tuning and deciding which we want to do and how we're going to cast it. And we always like do a rewrite. Like we're, you know, there's like a huge generation of, of material. Like there was one year, um, did we write 700 sketches or something like that for oh one of the bigger seasons? God. Like, it was, it's crazy because we, we overwrite so that we can lose the stuff that isn't yeah. working. And then we overshoot so that again, when it comes to the edit, we can lose the stuff that didn't work. And um, so that's it. We're actually not that good. It's just, you're just seeing the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I beg so, to so, differ. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that happens. So the writing happens and then that goes to like the end of June. And then usually we would have like a bit of a break because mm-hmm. also while that first writing was happening, the showrunner is like in uh, the ending of the edits from the season before doing the coloring and the sound stuff. Mm. And there's probably, you know, like whatever, pro- when we were airing in the summer, there'd be promo coming up during that time as well. So like, you know, there were some years it's like, there's a vacation, but you don't actually get a vacation because I'm also like <laughs> working like... on newborn moms. And then so they're good problems to have, right? You're busy. Yeah. <laughs> so then we're really involved in the pre-production. So that would start like mid July and go like through the six weeks of August or so. And then we would have a couple of weeks. We're supposed to like just be rehearsing inevitably. Of course, there's a zillion meetings because we're involved in so much. So mm-hmm. and for the first two years, we also did not have an assistant. So we were doing like all of our own scheduling and stuff like that. And we just about lost our minds. And then we had uh, Paul Kingston, PK come in for season three. And then Aaron Conway has been with us for the last couple of years. And um, so necessary. And then shooting happens mm-hmm. and shooting goes and goes and goes. And then that's done. And then editing starts and that goes for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that takes you to February. So that's <laughs> you don't have cool- time. Yeah. Like you don't have time to doubt yourself. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm I, okay. I don't know if I can do this again. Oh my God, but I'm going to have to. Okay. Bye. Like you just, you don't even have you just time learn to like produce, produce. So in the way, like, you know, being at second city really prepares you for that because like, mm. especially when you're writing a show, it's like you're rehearsing all day and then you do a show and then you do improv and then you do notes and you're just like running, running, running. So that, um, endurance level mm-hmm. is, is kind of there. Um, and, and you forget sometimes that anybody outside of the production even watches it because I'm like, I spent the last five years with three other people, basically, you know, like we <laughs> yeah. were just yeah. in that plane. And then, so when people would come on the show, like I would only see my friends when we hired on them set, yeah. on set, it's like, oh my God, Miguel or whoever, you know, like, and yeah. so that's another reason we're so lucky because the bench is so deep mm. in Toronto. It was like, yeah. I know the perfect person for this. And they're not even in the, you know, like this person is actually from the acting community and this person's from comedy and they will be great. And and then sometimes we learned, you know, met whole new people, but we were so lucky because there's mm-hmm. so many good sketch comedians who are like hilarious and they're great mm-hmm. actors and they're just funny standing there and they look perfect. And 
That's the dream. I mean, the dream to be able to create your own show and then also be to create opportunities for people behind the camera and in front of it for like to create those opportunities for people where you're like, I know you're so fucking talented and you're, maybe you are working as much as like, maybe you're working a ton, but you're not working as much as I think you should be working. So I yeah. want to hire you. I want to pay you to do the thing you're amazing at. Like that's, yeah. oh, that's such a dream. Isn't there that, there's that pleasure of seeing something new that's amazing, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, I don't know why people are like, I don't like these new, you know, sci-fi trends toward workers or whatever kind of thing. It's like, why wouldn't you want to see a whole new demographic on screen or a whole yeah. new bunch of people you haven't seen before? Because this is like, it's like, there's that pleasure when somebody is cast perfectly and it's like, that's everything I hoped it would be and a little bit more Yeah, and you're not overused. You know, people haven't seen you in two zillion commercials. So I know <laughs> yeah. this is going to be like fresh and amazing. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great feeling. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's great to be able to give your friends work. Yeah. Oh, so deserving properly, you know? Yes. Like, yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, and you know, I think like you talked about sort of the, the scarcity sort of scarcity complex, like, especially here in, in Canada where it feels like there's not enough work. And I think it's easy to want to say yes to all the opportunities that you're offered because yeah. you just don't know when the next one is going to come. And so I was, I'm, I'm so interested to hear like what was the experience like for you guys to decide that the fifth season was going to be your final season and not be like okay we're just going to do if if we can do a sixth one we'll do a six and a seventh and a seventh I really respect the the decision and I I'm wondering what the experience was like deciding it I mean in a way straightforward and in a way a little bit drawn out because like we made the decision during pre-production before okay. season five we had mm -hmm. already done the writing and I mean, we were all very tired. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, some of us had had some pretty intense stuff happen in our personal lives over mm. the last few years as well. And um, I know for me, I was just thinking, okay, like, I know that I have enough gas in my own tank to do this season if I, you know, like, if I know that afterwards I'm going to get a good long mm. break and I'll still yeah. have gas in the tank for, you know, are we going to ever tour? Do we want to write, you know, like things beyond just a, a television show. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, yeah, of course it's really tempting to keep going, but I really feel like personally, I don't know that I would have survived. <laughs> so it was, it was good to, I mean, you, the horror, the, the horror for, for, you know, anybody in improv and comedy is like to out stay on the stage longer than the scene oh, wants yeah. you to, wants it to be going on. Right. Like, yeah. And people have always, now that I think about it, people have always praised our ability to like get in, get out with a joke. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're always really careful about trying not to take other people's material mm -hmm. you know like you write a scene you're like oh this scene is brilliant people are like they've already done that like, oh, fuck i haven't seen it you know but or whatever and you're like oh no there you're right it's like this um but it did happen i think it happened a couple of times in the season five writing where i was like oh we've done that scene actually you know um, no way that just that just happened like a couple of times yeah i mean there were still like you know like filled with incredible original ideas and like an awesome writing room and all that kind of stuff but I think you just, you just always want to go out before people are tired of you. And if you're also really tired, then, you know, <laughs> plus like everybody has other 
um, you know, things they want to do. And I'm pretty excited. I don't know. We might be in a position to be able to like, see, you know, like people are like, what do you want to do next? Like, let me help you. So it's like, oh, let me test this theory. See if yes. So, you know, like, um, some people are already like acting in new shows and writing shows mm-hmm. and developing stuff. And I'm, I'm trying to, um, develop a pretty wide array. I've got a few, a little handful of, of things that I'm working in. They're all really different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting. And I'm really excited to see what everybody else does next. And then eventually if we do write a movie or whatever, I don't know, we'll see. So if that's a really long, unsexy answer, but that's just kind of like the actual truth. Honest is always sexy. <laughs> it's always sexy. It is sexy. Concession it just is. Sexy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's the sexiest thing. I also have to say, this is maybe weird and maybe the weed, but one thing I noticed in all five seasons of the show is your war- like your looks were so good. <laughs> like, I think even in the scenes where I was fully aware that your character was commenting on like a, like making fun of a person or a type of person. I was like, I'd fucking wear that. And I want my hair like that. And I don't give a shit. And you, you have this like weird, beautiful, like X-Men gift of making everything sexy. And I was testing this theory today. Even I was going through and watching, I was rewatching a bunch of episodes and I was like, how does Aurora make every character you just have? And I think it's like, you're just so present in the moment and you're so grounded in your performance. It's so believable that I'm like, maybe that's the sexy part because being honest is so attractive. <gasps> oh know. my gosh. Anyway, that was my rant, but. That, um, well, first of all, the clothes, I so much of my wardrobe are the clothes from set because I was like, oh, I would never <gasps> buy this for myself, but I love it. You know, and then Did you, you get to a- keep a bunch of them. You got to keep a bunch oh. of clothes. Am I wearing the jeans I'm wearing right now? Fidelity jeans. And these are from set. I also love that cardigan. Thank you. This I did not buy from set, but I wore it to set all the time because we had the sweater wars. Hang on, I'll just show, stand up and show you. Sweater okay. wars. I bought this online. This was one of the first things where, you know, I was on Facebook at the time and it was like, Hey, have you looked at this, you know, clothing company by could. And I was like, sure. Those look nice. And I ordered this from like, a, you know, from one of those mail-in like Instagram ads, yeah. it came, it was amazing. And me and one of the makeup or, or sorry, one of the hair uh, artists, uh, Min Kim, she had, I mean, they all had a big thing for like cozy sweaters, right? Cause mm, early morning in the trailer. And, yeah. But this one really stood the test of time and it just kind of goes over everything in the end. I loved it. But yeah, I've kept a ton of clothing from, from the show. I mean, like none of it is very expensive. Um, I think like in first season, I was in this scene called Great Dress where I'm wearing a great dress and then they're like, do you want to take it? I'm like, yes. And I walk away with the mirror and it's a stupid little pun. But the great dress was such a great dress and it was $60. Oh my <gasps> God, it blew the budget. Um, most of the stuff we get is from like value village or, you know, but sometimes they'll get some nicer things um, that we can't keep, but I'm, I'm a sucker for like a really good pair of jeans, a sweater that falls just right. Um, and I've gotten better each year at not just grabbing everything that's like eye candy, but it's like, will I wear this? Yes. You know, okay. This is a bit of a bolder color, but it's a good, you know, stretch for me. So I have like a red trench that I was going to be wearing all over the place. Oh. this year and there was nowhere to go. And now it's just all over your apartment. I know, I know. I do have this new thing that if I put, I mean, I haven't gone clothes shopping, so I don't even remember, but if I put it on, I have to look in the mirror and be like, 
fuck yeah. Like I feel amazing or yeah. no, like, or it's not happening. But honestly, I think my dream wardrobe would be your wardrobe from Baroness. Like uh, it's, it's incredible. The, oh. oh my God. I love all of, I think I love all the outfits. I didn't find one that I didn't like. I mean, I know like in one you're an alien. So like I'm going, I mean, I'd wear that, but like, anyway. It was, that was, that, for your that took a team of people. Well, <laughs> uh, certainly for the last three years, my, my, our wardrobe guru, Nicole Manick, uh, she works in town and she is, uh, a wonderful human, incredible designer and a great look wrangler, you know, oh. and she had this gift of like looking at our bodies and be able to choose clothes that actually fit your, our bodies. Like she just mm-hmm. had a great, she knew from looking how what someone's volume was right mm. um and you always kind of want to ride the line because it's like we're not like nobody thinks we're models we're not here to make people think you know how beautiful every moment is like we frequently we we need to look ridiculous um <laughs> so you need to balance that with sometimes going but my ass looks so good in those pants why do we have to cut the seam <laughs> I, my ass has never looked better my hair looks great too why yeah. you know the scene didn't work and we hate what it's saying and there's no, pr- but like my ass. There's no laughs, but exactly. no laughs. It's offensive, <laughs> but my ass. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Well, um, to finish up with you today, Aurora, I would love to just ask you uh, some little quick questions about yourself. Sure. That's okay. okay. Okay, great. Okay. So my first one is, uh, what is your go-to munchy snack when you're high? Oh, <laughs> Uh, I will say Hagen dazs strawberry ice cream. Oh, just a full pint of it. My mouth just got so dry. So good. I so have, good. I can't have milk, but I have some cashew ice cream in the fridge that has like, oh, and when Ben and Jerry started doing dairy free, like, I'm sorry. It's so much sugar in it. It hurts my stomach, even, but I don't care. I buy it all the time. Oh, it's, that's such a good answer. Strawberry ice cream. Yeah. Oh, I haven't had yeah. strawberry in a while. You're going to go to the corner store. After I'm this, totally, I'm like, what do what, I think I have vanilla bean ice cream, which also like cashew vanilla bean ice cream. Do you mm. have any maple syrup? Like actual maple syrup? You just yes. like drizzle that over the, the uh, vanilla ice cream. And <laughs> no, we're a little high. We're like drizzle this over. That is what I'm going to do. Do you think if I add I tell some you. cinnamon, would that be good or would that be bad? Cause it's cold. Maybe that's not good. No cinnamon on vanilla, especially with maple. That'll, that'll go. Okay. It'll go got a little ratatouille kind of, you know, putting all the things together. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm so into that. What else do I like? I used to do this thing where I would have frozen blueberries and then put them into a bowl and drizzle maple syrup over them. You could stop there and make it your vegan dessert, but mm. then you can also drizzle like heavy cream over that and the, the freezingness of it. And you don't have to have even frozen berries. Oh. They could be fresh. I did keto yeah. for a while once. And it was just like cheese and blackberries, cheese and blackberries. <laughs> cheese and blackberries all day. I have had keto long. explained to me so many times by one, by Andrew Bushnell every time. Oh yes. And I am so fascinated by keto. And when he would explain, I just, I'm like, how, I don't know. I need let to me, let me give you my explanation. Okay. And maybe it'll, it'll add to the explanation that you heard. Yes. To me, I was like, what you're saying to your body is we're not going out for takeout until you've eaten everything in these cupboards. Mm. And now you have to start eating what's in the cupboards. You know, when you're like, Oh, can we just go out for dinner? It's like, we're not going out for dinner. You have yes. to eat what's on the shelves and in the cupboards down below. And what's like in the things on the canister. It's because you're basically telling your body, like you have to use up your fat reserves 
Um, and I will, you will start, it takes your body a few days to apparently, this is the, the science as I'm, as I read mm. it, you're, and I'm sure Andrew also told you this, but like your body has a variety of methods of breaking down fuel into energy and it will always choose the easiest one first mm. and blood sugar is the easiest way. Um, so if you deprive your body of blood sugar, for about three days, it'll finally switch over into ketosis and it'll be like, fine, we'll burn fats for energy if that's how you're going to be. Mm. And then it starts using <laughs> everything that you have all over the place. And once, if you, if you stick to it um, and you keep that chemistry up, cause you have to, it's the chemistry of your body that you have to keep up. Mm. Even if you have like, you know, um, it's like, well, can't I just have one sandwich? It's like, no, because then your body be like, oh, great. We can stop ketosis. that and just go back. To, ah. Yeah. 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 You have to keep it there. And that's when you get the keto breath and stuff like that, because you're literally dying. You're literally breaking down parts that, of your body. That scene of you and Meredith mm. today. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's yes. what it's based on is me. I tried <laughs> keto. I did not talk about it. Everybody else was like, oh, she's doing keto. I'm like, I said nothing. I said literally <laughs> nothing because I knew this is how it would be. Yeah. It was terrible. So yeah. it's, it is definitely a fat burning, uh, um, strategy kind of thing, if that's what a person wants to do. And then, you know, like, but then after a while you're like, I'd really love a muffin, you know, because oh. like carbs are happy. Carbs are love, right? Like carbs, like you do that. And then like the first time I was doing keto just before I hosted the great Canadian baking show, I just started it oh. on my own and they were like, okay, but would you like to eat stuff? I'm like, yeah, fuck. I'll eat the baking. If yeah. you're paying me to do it and you want me to do it. Yes, I'll do it. What am I going to do? Not eat the baking. Yeah. Stuff on a Sorry. Show. So I went from yeah. like keto to eating all the icing. It like in one day I, I was felt very strange, but you know, like you don't, uh, sometimes I want to lose fat for the camera and sometimes I don't give a shit and I just want to eat all the food because yep. it feels really good. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, I just want to be happy. What am I going to, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck that. Strawberry ice cream. I'm having ice cream. Strawberry ice cream. Oh, that's how we started talking about that's this. Really <laughs> all right. Like, it's all it's all a I wonderful. I don't remember Alice how we got here. Mm, no, I, I don't I'll bring us back. That. I'll bring us back. <laughs> what still intimidates you creatively? Singing, although I love doing it and I do it a ton privately, but uh, to the point where I, I almost might have gone into musical theater. But then I started developing this fear of auditioning, and I would I went through a few years where I could not audition. I would be able to sing in the waiting room walking in, it was, I just lost my voice. I couldn't do it. And yeah. I still feel a bit, um, a bit nervous about that. Mm. What's a show, a book or a podcast that you're really into right now? I guess show wise, what was I just watching? This is again, the we talk. I was like, what was I watching? Was I know. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't ask you for like memory recall right now. Cause like, I couldn't tell you. No, it's kind of like dementia. I can see what I want to talk about. It's just <laughs> finding the words that is a little bit weird. Um, I mean, we did get really into Raised by Wolves. Um, oh, okay. Just in, in, in September. We got really into Raised by Wolves and, and the boys. Um, and those yes. were kind of my like way more intense than reality escape television. Yeah, totally. Uh, but I will say this is such an old favorite, but I will encourage anybody who is thinking about it to go and read Lord mm. of the Rings, all three books, because Ooh, okay. they are 
and I love the movies. I rewatched Fellowship the other day just for comfort, but um, read that book. It's worth the the dive into the thousand pages and all the, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible book. Okay. I love that. Um, all right. And my last question for you today is when was the last time you felt victorious or proud in your personal life? <laughs> Listen, I'm forcing you to feel. <laughs> no, are you like? I can see your face. You're just like, no. <laughs> I'm just. Oh, bless your heart for thinking that anybody had victorious or proud moments this year. That's why I'm like, Victoria? listen, let's try and think of one to make us feel better. I don't have one. I'm not saying I have one on my mind, but. I need to believe somebody <laughs> has one. <laughs> okay. No, that's a fair question. Um, is it? I don't know. <laughs> it's 2020. Is it fair to ask that? I think, no, I think it is fair. Most of the victor victory or joy that I feel in my life is usually <gasps> centered around my son oh. um, because he's such a sweetie and he's 10 years old. So it's a really rich time because he's just like developing all the time. You're just like watching somebody like level up in front of you. It's pretty cool. Um, and uh, this summer, we not only went for, I was spending a lot of time up in Aurelia where my dad, my father lives, and we went on a few bike rides together. And then one day I was, I really needed to stay in the house. I was like, look, mm -hmm. it's Aurelia. It's not Toronto. Why don't you just like go down to the lake, take my phone. If you, yeah. you know, you're 10 years old, you can go for a walk by yourself, you know, starting to get into that. And he's like, well, why don't I bike down to the lake? And I was like, yeah. Yes, sure. You know, because it had been a bit of a struggle for him. He, he's not one of those kids who's like, I'm going to face down every obstacle on the course and like gets into it physically. Yeah. He, he was like me. He was a bit like, I don't know. I made it myself, you know? So the fact that we'd been, it had been pulling teeth with him a bit the year before to get mm. him to even try the, the to bicycle. And so the fact that on his own, he suggested bicycling down a hill to a lake and then back up again by himself. I was like, oh, Oh my God, like it's, it's happening. And I felt Aww. both those emotions. Yeah. Aww. So not for me, it was vicarious, but I felt good as a mom, I guess. And on that, his yeah. behalf. That can totally be a victorious proud, like of course, proud mama <laughs> moment. That's wonderful. I actually have to tell you, I read uh, in an interview, you gave a quote about parenting and I read it and I was like, I think this is the most beautiful thing, like advice for parenting I've ever read in my life. I can't wait to hear what I said. You were talking about, and now because of the weed, I'm afraid I'm going to ruin it, but you, I'm paraphrasing, but you were talking about like just coming to your children as they are and just letting them, like just loving them for who they are and not trying to write, write their future and write their experiences and just love them for exactly where they're at right there and experience them for exactly where they're at right there. And I was like, fuck, maybe I can have kids and not fuck it up. Like I was like, that was beautifully said. Anyway, I might have ruined oh, it. But you it did was... say that beautiful. I, I don't think I said it that beautifully. I think you said it very well. You said I'm it even better. Out. I'll send you the quote. You said it even better. <laughs> it was a beautiful thing. Well, I, I, I was probably quoting something that I had read because <laughs> I remember reading somebody, because I don't come up with stuff on my own, but um, I had read somewhere that somebody said that the thing your child wants to hear from you the most mm. when they've done something is nothing like great job or whatever what they actually really want to hear from you is you saying i love watching you do x whatever mm -hmm. it is you know that and think about like if somebody you admire and love says 
oh, man, I love watching you improvise. Like they're not saying you're great or not. Your, their enjoyment doesn't depend on your skill level or your you know worthiness or whatever. They just love watching you. And it made so much sense to me when I read it that I thought like, I could remember that when I'm mom, you know, and, and put it into practice. And uh, I don't know if I'm too loving. I'm, I'm that loving. I'm like, I just want you to know that I love you. And I love watching you do your designing drawing. When we tell you to get off the iPad, I love it. I love every drawing you've ever done. Like, so it's yeah. too much probably. He's never going to suffer from not knowing that some, that he's loved. He's going to yeah. be like, ugh, enough the love, mom. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh my God. My lip again. That's so beautiful. I, I agree. Yeah. Because, because then you're not, I think it breeds less imposter syndrome because it's not about doing a good job. It's just about doing it. And I think that's like so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it might mean that he's never driven to be an Olympian. So maybe he won't achieve much because he's just already really secure as but opposed to like, it always turns out like the people who reach the highest heights are doing it to like make their dad love them. Yeah, you know? totally. I it's said powerful... to my therapist one day, I was like, I'm really afraid that if we work through everything that I won't be a good performer anymore. She's like, we're that you're, that's not going to happen. That's I'm like, good. Gonna happen. good. That's not going to happen. Gonna happen. <laughs> I can assure you it's your, your, your trauma and your talent are not related. You can use your talent, uh, your trauma can become fodder for it, but your talent is your own and you will not fuck it up. Oh, I can tell a, you that now, young lady. Oh, young lady. What a fucking wonderful way to end this. That was beautiful. Your talent and trauma are not related. You heard it here. God damn it. Use it for fodder, but it's, <laughs> they're not codependent. It's not, what is it like court? I hope I you still know. think I'm, oh no, codependent is the right word. Is that the, or, uh, I was trying to think of in statistics, they say like, uh, correlation is not causation. That's what causation. I was trying to think That's of. it. There we go. That's I used to it. tutor statistics. I should really remember that. Yeah. I do still think you're a rock star. If that's what you're going to say. I wonder if you're going to think that when you listen back to this tomorrow, when you're not high though, <laughs> you'll be like, oh. what was she saying? She made five points and I asked her one question, you know. Or maybe you'll be like, wow, we made some deep, Yeah, we, yeah. I think we had a really deep time and I think we had a loving time. And I think yeah. that that is what weed is the, the gift to the world uh, of, of weed is, as your poison is a good time. I love it so much. And you are, you know, thank and now- Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. And you know, you're welcome to all your friends that you're about to go love text and tell them how lovely they are. You're welcome to all of them. <laughs> and thank you so much for doing this. It's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you. And like, yeah, I just so appreciate you generously gifting your time and your thoughts to me. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you doing it. I appreciate also the crazy research that you uh, have done oh, and, and, and the, the interest and care you put into watching the show. And, and, oh. and thank you for allowing me to gab on about it because of course I love talking about it and the, the craft. And it's a real pleasure to talk about questions like that because sometimes we get the same kind of quick questions and it's really nice to just talk about, you know, the experience of being on stage with somebody who does it too, right? Aww. And being a performer. So thank you. Someday we'll be talking about your show. I'll be like, so, even, so long time ago, she, uh, <laughs> she interviewed me back when I was young and had a voice. Now she's the queen. You heard it here first.
Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. Whether you are watching the episode on YouTube or listening wherever you get your podcasts, I really appreciate the support and I'd love to connect with you. What's been your favorite episode so far? What topics are resonating with you? What's something new you've learned from one of our awesome guests? Find the podcast on Instagram at Liquid Courage Podcast and on Twitter at Liquid C Podcast and let me know. And if you like what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and leave a review or rating. It helps me out a lot and it banks you some good karma. The world is a really scary, uncertain place right now and being able to connect with these inspiring artists each week has really helped me mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the illies. <laughs> Safe virtual connection has been such a huge source of support for me, so I hope in listening to this episode, you feel a little less alone and a little more connected as well. Thanks again for listening. It means the world to me. Stay safe and take care.